Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 301st episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. Folks, we are still basking in the afterglow of the 300th episode. Uh, Want to send another thank you and shout out to Golden Tate, as well as Bobby Wagner for coming on the show. I will not mention the large list of people who declined the show because, you know, they basically insisted that we get to 400 before they'd, they'd be willing to join. And uh, so we got a lot of work to do, but we can race our way there. You can all help us. If you haven't already give the show a like, uh, subscribe to the channel, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, sign up, support the show, get access to the Slack channel and support charity. Uh, all this is a big part of where we get guests. People want to help us do good things. You can help us do good things. Patreon.com slash Hawkblogger. Do it. You won't regret it. Um, I'm going to uh, pass the mic over today, the, the baton, to Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG. She's going to host the show tonight. Uh, Dana, I mean, you can, you can tell, take us wherever you want to go. Uh, there's a there's a lot to go over since the 300th episode. But first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. And I sat in with everyone in chat during the 300th show. It was so fun to sit there and chit chat with everyone. And it, you guys look like you were having such a good time. I loved it so much. So congratulations again on that. That was amazing. And you know, I've told the story how I met Golden Tate at a music festival years ago, and he <laughs> was just as nice then randomly in public as he was to you guys. So he's such a genuine guy. I just love him. So I don't, I don't think I know the story, which oh. uh, concert was. <laughs> so I went to um, my brother um, lives in Southern California and he invited me to a music Music festival that they don't have any longer that's called Kaboo. It was in San Diego. And this was in, it's a music, art, and comedy festival. And it's so much fun. And I miss it terribly. But we were sitting there and I was pouting because I am not a Dave Matthews fan. And so oh, my guess. brother insisted and all of his friends wanted to watch him. So I sat in the back. I was sitting on the ground. And this person stands up in front of me and walks up. I'm like, oh, look, that's Golden Tate. So I popped up. I'm like, hey, Golden Tate. Dano Gorman, big Seahawks fan. He's like, hey, how are you? We had a great chat. He was super nice. So it was fun. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it was really good. So, did you say anything obligatory about maple donuts? Maple I bars? did not. No, okay. huh? you passed the test. Yeah, passed the vibe I, test. Good yeah. Job. So we just we just chit chatted, and he was very complimentary about Seahawks fans. Of course, he would be right, you know, because a we're awesome, but b because I just had told him I was a Seahawks fan. So, but yeah, it was really nice. So he was a good guy, and so I I like that that came through in his interview within chat with you guys because he really is a good egg. I like that one. So. That's good. So anyway, yes, you are 100% right. There is so much to talk about, which is kind of funny because I wasn't even sure. I'm like, are we going to do a show this week? And I was like, duh, of course we are, right? Because there's so much to talk about. But I wanted to take over hosting because I know, and this will surprise no one, that all of you guys are a little opinionated when it comes to these coaches. So we're going to talk about the coaches um, and everyone that they have um, scheduled an interview for tonight. Um, we also have a ton of Patreon questions. And let me tell you, these Patreon questions are detailed. Like they're this long and super detailed. So we might have to fish through them just a little bit. Um, but we also want to talk a little bit about Pete. And of course, we want to talk about John Snyder's podcast. So, so much to get to. So let's just dive right in. Um, and... Let's start out. Okay. Pete's been gone for a week, right? And I have to say, you guys, how surprised are you? I looked over all the other um, like Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts and everything of the other teams that had removed their head coach. There was an obligatory thank you. And that was it. Even the Patriots put up like two things. The Seahawks, between all their accounts, had over 20 tribute posts to Pete. And honest to God, it choked me up every time. But honestly, I wasn't surprised. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's that optimist in me, but I wasn't surprised. Nathan, were you surprised that they kept every day a new a new thank you? Yeah, after like the third day or whatever, I was like, <laughs> oh, wow, they're still doing this. Uh, but I mean, you know, well-deserved and it was, it was cool. Uh, yeah. So no complaints. But yeah, yeah, definitely way out of the ordinary. Yeah, it's did it surprise anybody else, Brian, Jeff, anybody? I honestly wasn't paying attention, so <gasps> I, I, I like, I don't, I didn't know that they did that. That's cool though. I'm happy yeah. to hear it. I, I was surprised. Um, I've never seen a, a coach that was ultimately fired, and they can spin it however they want. It's pretty clear. Listen to John yesterday. What happened? Um, I've never seen a fired coach from any sport that I've followed get treated like that from the team reaction to the fact that the players had like that party for him the night of I've had my issues with Pete as a coach, but as a person, he's like a one of one kind of guy. The impact he had on everyone standing ovation for a fired press conference. It's the most unique thing I've ever seen. It really was. It was so surprising to me. And it, I, then I was like, Oh, well the Patriots must've done the same. The hell they did. They're like, you're out. We've named your new guy and mails in, in your history, dude. It was, but you know, maybe that's the Patriot way. We don't know. So anyway, let's move on to John uh, Snyder's press conference. So a lot of mixed reaction from this one. Um, and we talked about it a bit, um, in our chat, but there was a reaction on Twitter that was some excitement. Evan was really excited after he watched it. He felt really, you know, excited about the direction the team was going. There were other people who were like, that was the biggest word salad. And I have no idea where John Snyder's head is right now. Um, it, there were moments where he seemed a little irritated at a couple of the questions, <laughs> which I loved a little bit. Um, 
he also seemed to focus a lot on culture. He gave Pete a great thank you, but then also almost like a backhanded compliment later saying the team was stagnant. So I want to know your guys' thoughts. What, what was your overall impression of the interview? And do you think that his vision came across clearly? Brian, let's start with you. I'm going to spit out my lozenge. Sorry. You guys go through it tonight. That's, that's for the, that's for everyone on, on video. No one on, on uh, listening. We get to see what just happened. Um, <laughs> I didn't think you're coming to me first. So <laughs> we're off to the races folks. Uh, so we got to get a gif of that along with the <laughs> mic pumping you in the nose. You just like panic. Yeah. When they hire somebody uh, that had to look great. Um, I just imagine the sound of the lozenge against my teeth uh, listening to that would just not be good. So I, I had to like save the listeners um, and and throw the, the, the viewers under the bus. Um, all right. So I, I thought it was chock full of info. There was there's probably more that wasn't said than that was um, from my perspective. Um, I think if there's any doubt that John was essentially um, supportive of of moving on from pete i think that all that was removed from that conversation john had every opportunity to take a tone or a stance anything that would have indicated that he wanted to stick with the way things were um he used words like stagnant he talked about how pete knew how he felt about the state of the team and like every way that he could he indicated like this is what he thought should happen and you add to that what pete said in his press conference where he looked at John and kind of teased him about, you know, you asked for it. Now you're going to see it. The kind of thing like that's what happened. And so I think that that was that was a question that got answered. I I, I wasn't surprised by that. And then um, there's a bunch of I, I won't take everything because I know that the guys have their own perspectives on this. But um, I think that. John is so itching to have his opportunity to make these calls. And that came out loud and clear. One of his most emphatic answers was, uh, you know, are you going to be the final word on personnel? Yes. <laughs> like There was no hesitation. There was no mincing of words, no talking around anything. And so I think that eliminates a whole bunch of potential coaching candidates who would want like Jim Harbaugh's of the world. I think like, uh, you know, I can't imagine someone like Jim Harbaugh or someone like Bill Belichick or like some of these types of guys being willing to come in here and just basically eat whatever John decides to feed them. That just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then I think the other thing that I would, I would kind of call out is that, I, I think that it, I, I don't want to steal the thing that I know Jeff or, or, or Nathan will talk about, about offensive versus defensive coaches and all that. I think he, I think he tipped his hand there pretty clearly, but I just, I get the impression that John, while he talks about wanting to, you know, Jody said, keep the culture. I don't think. I don't think it's going to be the same. I think when John talked about the culture in this, in this presser, he talked about the, the chef. He talked about the equipment guys. He talked about people outside the locker room. And what that, what I interpret that as is like, John's a good guy and John wants people to be treated well. And so that's what he interprets as the culture. 
that's very different than the type of positive coaching and leadership approach that Pete took in the locker room. I think John, I think John likes guys, guys. I think he likes tough guys. And I think that that to me indicates if, if you're a Dan Quinn supporter, if you're a Mike Vrabel supporter, that kind of coach, I think personality wise, I think is something that John will be open to. And I don't know that people say Dan Quinn will keep the culture the same. Dan Quinn's not Pete Carroll. Like I think people are mistaken there in terms of, of who he is and what his demeanor is. So those are my quick ramblings after I did my spit take. Um, before we move on, I should read a couple of the super chats um, uh, real quick. Um, Michael Mathis, our most prolific super chatter. Thank you, Michael. My last super chat until next season. We'll see about that, Michael. We might earn more. Thank you guys for a fun season. I love everybody's analysis. I also love donating to a good cause here, here. Ben Johnson for head coach. I'll also take Mike McDonald. All right. I'm waiting for the Mike McDonald request, by the way. Uh, then the next one, a very generous super chat from a Browns 47. Um, I should read these before I put them up there. So I, I'm just reading as I go. Absolutely obvious that John wanted this move for a while. John loves Pete, but he knew a few years back, based on his presser, he wanted this a while back, and now John is pumped. But does his full, con but does his full control in hiring could be a red flag for coaches? Um, I think that's a question we just kind of talked to. I think for some, it will. For a lot of these guys, I don't think it, it will. Um, so... I will now pass it back to you, Dana, and I'm going to put my lozenge back in. I'm so sorry about your throat. Okay, Nathan, what I, I think you and I had similar opinions on this presser, and, and I think they might be a little different than Brian's. So what were your impressions? I mean, the first thing that jumped out to me is he seemed unprepared for it. Um, his opening remark was kind of just wandering and uninspired and i mean there were a couple times where i'm like oh well he's emotional but mostly he just kind of stumbled his way through it and i was like okay this is for like the transition of the guard or like you know like from pete's press conference walking out the door after being fired to John, who is now like picking up the reins and putting the crown on, and Pete is jazzed and jacked and pumped and ready to go, and John's just like, I guess we got to get a coach. <laughs> it's like, can I ask you a question just on that because I'm I'm curious. My interpretation of that because you're totally right was, I think that he's really excited about this. He's not that actually sad about this. And I think he didn't know how to start, like knowing that he's supposed to be kind of melancholy. And so he kind of like wandered around for a while and then like eventually got to Pete. And that seemed like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to talk about Pete. Like it felt like he knew what he wanted to say, but he had to figure out like, how am I supposed to show up in the first, like <laughs> is that, that was my interpretation. I think that's probably fair. Uh, I, you know, he had a couple days to figure that out. Uh <laughs> but you know, whatever. It's a press conference. Who who cares? Um, <clears throat> I did not think it was particularly interesting. Um, uh, I do agree that the 
Alex Smith thing about hiring an offensive mm-hmm. coach compared to a defensive coach was really telling. That was a very specific example that he had apparently top of mind. Um, so I, I, I pr- think it's probably fair to say, hey, you know, it looks like he's leaning towards an offensive coach. Um, there's a lot of defensive coaches on the interview request list, and I don't think he's like there's no smoke screens with head coaching interviews, I don't think. So I think that probably, you know, tells you he may have a preference, but he seems to be, you know, looking at everything. And so ultimately, I did not come away from that thinking much. Um, I guess the one other interesting thing was he did talk about them being a championship caliber team, um, which I just I think paints him, you know, into a corner a tiny bit. Um, but yeah, beyond that, it was very low energy and, you know, not not something I walked away being like, hell yeah, let's go Seahawks. I'm excited about this season. I agree. I agree. And we talked about that. I was just like, really? That That's it? And I will say this. During Pete's press conference, they, they did, you know, have some pictures of John and he looked really shook up during that one. And so I think that he probably has gotten past those emotions at this point. And apparently Pete's not even leaving the city. So he's probably like, that dude's going to be over my shoulder every day anyway. So like nothing's different. But um But I did, I agree with Nathan, Jeff. I think that it was more like, okay, congratulations, kid. Like, I just didn't get a ton out of it. Really? I saw it so different than that. I'm with Brian. Uh, When John speaks, you really have to read between the lines. He doesn't say, he has like an art of saying a lot, but saying nothing. And it comes off on first glance as bullshit. But the more you think about it, I thought there was a lot in there. And I think Brian covered a lot of what I took away. I, I know Evan was like really excited. I, I didn't. I don't think I came away with that. I like you uh, from you guys. Can tell I I have some people I talk to in the league, and a lot of my like thoughts come from speaking with people I know at agencies and people I know. And there's been this untalked about story that John Schneider has wanted to hire his own coach for a number of years now, mm-hmm. and you never know what to believe. There was that rumor that he was going to go to Detroit a couple of years ago. I don't. No, if they were just doing that as leverage yesterday kind of confirmed in my opinion a lot of what i had heard and the fact that he jumped so quickly at that one where he's like i control the coaching staff now yes. that i found really interesting because to me i wonder and there's ken norton jr and clint hurt who's not generating any buzz on the market and shane waldron as a matter of fact is but you wonder if he's sitting there thinking like these are not the guys i would be hiring so that i found really interesting i like the eye roll at greg bell i found that really interesting um and i thought the alex smith thing i think the fact that he mentioned something we've talked about and i've talked about earlier when i kind of made the case that we should be getting repeat is just i've kind of become radicalized on that offensive coach thing and hearing john and the seahawks have always felt kind of behind the times in the last few years and i do wonder how much as John been sitting there stewing at some of these games and how close they've been. Why is the team giving Nick Ballor all this money? Why is Jason Myers getting all this money? All these thoughts are going through my head. Like maybe he's been sitting there stewing about all this stuff for a while now. And that's what I find so fascinating about. We're going to learn so much about maybe what was John, what was Pete, if they still do some really dumb things in free agency and burn cap room, we're definitely going to learn who's behind that. So I did find it. His energy was definitely, he looked like he was drained. He looked like he was overworked, but I did find it interesting. Like one of the things I had heard from digging around is that this job is really in demand. I know someone on Seahawks Twitter was kind of making the case that no one's going to want this job. It's like a mid team. And 
and you're in the division with McVay and Shanahan. I'm like, you just have no idea how NFL teams or NFL coaches view jobs. There's not a single coach who'd be like, I don't want to take a job. There's McVay and Shanahan. These guys have some of the biggest egos on earth. These guys think they can dominate McVay and Shanahan. They don't think like that. It's not a Madden franchise mode. It's who that you want people to have owners that are going to spend. And it was interesting to say that also John was like, Jody's involved. I have a boss. And my thought was, well, someone like Dan Quinn, who kind of got pants nationally the other day, <laughs> it might be a harder sell to a boss right now. So I think the biggest thing that I want to see more than anything was when all that Dan Quinn first started to come out and the day Pete got fired, I'm like, I just want to see a thorough search. Mm-hmm. I don't want them hyper-focusing on one guy. And to me, it, it was pretty clear that there is going to be a thorough search. There's already eight names out there, four offense, four defense. And I, I think from asking around, there's going to be more. I think, Brian, your guy, Mike McDonald, will be in there. The Ravens are not interviewing this week. Their game is on Saturday. So I think that's going to be delayed another week. I just need to hear that name. What did he roll his eyes at Greg Bell for? What, what did Greg? I, don't, I missed that part. Greg asked him if he was excited to be in control of the team or something like oh. that. He's like, I never thought that I wasn't. He in bristled. Of the team. He had a full yeah, eye. He bristled yeah, he at like, that. Yeah, it was serious. Yeah, it wasn't Mike Tomlin walking off on poor Brooke Pryor, who I love and adore. Brooke Pryor. I don't know if you guys follow her on Twitter, but she just asked him. She goes, she got halfway through her question where she was like, "So you're going into the last year of your contract? Whoop out!" He just walked right off. Well, Pete did that a few years ago to someone in one of those games, and then he came back, remember? Yeah, it was so funny. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, he was not impressed with that that question. One quick thing about John is if you go back to his very first year, and it really his first few press conferences, he used to give up everything. Like, he would say, like, I was like, wow, he's, like, saying a lot on air. And he clearly was given – like Dave Pearson went in and was like, no, 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 no. You have to like never say exactly what you mean. But it's always like one degree away from like, if you just listen, like, like you could hear what he's actually wanting to say. And now like, what's the like thinnest veneer he can put on top of that to not say that exactly. Like, it's never that complicated, I think, to hear like what John's really saying. And what he was really saying is, I wanted this. I'm going to kick ass. I can make all the decisions. Like I want an offensive coach. Like that was all like loud and clear and, and uh, sports science and analytics are the two things that are new and different. Like I'm surprised that the nerds weren't celebrating that more uh, as, as you know, a, a key criteria. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, I thought there's a lot. I think there was a lot in there and probably more that, that if I listened to the second time, I probably could pick up a few additional things. You know, Pete said it right though, right? In his press conference, he said, it's all on you now. And that really to me was you get to sink and swim and you maybe have one to two years figured this out and you're out. Otherwise you're done. You know what I mean? And I find that so interesting that, you know, he, he, it is all on him. And so we will see where those those separations come in. What was the difference? Because they were always such a unified front, right? And so now we're actually going to get to see where that comes in. So we'll see. It'll be, it's going to be real interesting real quick. So let's get into these head coaches, right? Because like I said, we have a ton of Patreon questions too. So obviously the one that's talked about most, everyone in the media hopped on it immediately. Like, oh, Dan Quinn's going to Seattle. He's the perfect fit there. Oh, sorry. Go ahead and read that. Oh, I'm, this leads in, you're leading into this. Yeah. So, um, 
that so Dan Quinn, 53 years old, which I know is very important to Evan, who's not here. <laughs> the age matters to Evan. Apparently, a few other things too, but that's that's the one. So 53 years old. Um, he was first hired by San Francisco um as a defensive quality control coach. He's worked for my the Dolphins, the Jets, the Seahawks. Then he went to college. We forget he was a DC. He left the Seahawks originally came, but then came back as the Seahawks DC. And he was the head coach for the Falcons, right? Where he went eight and eight, went to the Super Bowl, lost horridly. We all remember that one. 10 and six, seven and nine, and seven and nine, and now is in Dallas. Thoughts. Your thoughts on Dan Quinn. Nathan, why don't you go first? Nathan, before you go, mm -hmm. let's read the super chat because maybe you can help uh, a a Browns 47. He says, be the one to argue against the many ex-players calling for Dan Quinn. KJ Wright today came out. uh, Dan Quinn. Tell them why they are wrong and he shouldn't be the coach to hire. Unless you think he should. But I thought this might be a a tee up for you. Well, I I mean, I guess first and foremost, foremost, I am very agnostic on coaches. I think it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing for us to measure from the outside. Um, I do think that Quinn is one of the more uninspiring ones, though. Um, a little bit of a retread, you know, there's some, like, 95 Mariners vibes here uh, where, like, oh, we're trying to get the gang back together. I don't love that. Um, he just got absolutely pantsed in a playoff game, and it's not the first time that Dan Quinn has had an embarrassing defensive performance in a big playoff game. Um, and I don't know that, like, he's necessarily – he he's not Pete, like you said, Brian. I mean, he has a lot of good energy. I'm sure he's a good leader, but he's not like the guru leader guy. And I don't think I see him as an X's and O's guys to go nose to nose with Shani or McVeigh. And so, you know, he, he did have some good hires, like there's stuff to like about him, but ultimately it just feels pretty meh to me. Jeff? I know you have opinions on that. Um, I'm pretty out on Quinn. I, I, I think that game was the stamp for me. And if the Seahawks were in the AFC South, or the, they were the Titans or something, I think Dan Quinn would be an excellent hire. But timing matters and context matters. And, well, the thing that happened to the Pete Carroll really is they got lapped by Shanahan and McVay. And this job is different than the Titans' job or the Panthers' job, where I think Quinn would be an excellent hire. But you saw what happened with one of Shannon's disciples, Matt LaFleur, and seeing that tight end just wide open down the field, it was like the emphasis of the blowout. <clears throat> Reminded me of watching George Kittle against Pete Carroll. And I think obviously the job is to be a leader and not to be the schemer. And But if you have to beat Shannon McVeigh and he got beaten, like his defense got killed by Kyle with Dallas and San Francisco, and then he got killed by LaFleur, to me it's just such a hard sell. Timing is so important in life. I know you don't want to make it on one game. And again, Dan, there's a lot to like about Dan, but I just don't think the timing of this and the division, I don't think it fits. I think it would be the easy hire. I think John is going to interview him and he should get an interview. He absolutely deserves an interview. Brian tweeted out the defensive line draft picks with this regime and Dan Quinn, that's his whole background. So they've really missed him. But I just think if you have to beat Shannon McVeigh and you say, this is the guy, even though his disciple just destroyed you with an inferior roster. I, I can't swallow that one. Here, 
here's my thought. I, I like Dan Quinn. I would be totally okay with Dan Quinn as a hire in Seattle. Is it exactly what I'm looking for? No. And to be honest with you, it was you guys that changed my mind on this because, and Brian, I'm going to shoot this to you. It was that last game was a disaster. And then we were talking about it in chat. And you're like, you can't, you know, we all, I say we, the collective, we were all talking about how you can't really judge him on one game. But then Jeff did bring up, he's like, yeah, but San Francisco murdered them. And I was like, shit. So then I went back and looked a little bit. And absolutely, there are certain teams he does not do well against. Two of them are in our division. So that made me a little more nervous. But at the same time, and I said this in chat, and I'm going to say it again. I think that when you're a head coach, and then you lose that position and have to go back to being a coordinator and then get a chance to be a head coach. I do think you take some of those lessons with you. I really do believe that. So I do think you'd be a different type of coach. Brian, where do you sit with Dan Quinn? Uh, dude lost a lot of money potentially this weekend for sure. Um, or at least <clears throat> a lot of choice about where he's going to have the most opportunity to, to, to work. I think if that game went differently, it'd be a very different conversation. I am not out on Dan Quinn. Um, I think the, the the biggest argument against him is that KJ Wright came out for him. Um, that's never that's never a good thing. Uh, at least it hasn't been of, of late. But no, in all seriousness, here's where I'm on Dan Quinn. Um, Dan Quinn is an is a defensive line coach by nature. That's where his strength is. He has multiple smart moves, good personnel decisions, good utilization of people. He's made a difference there in multiple places. The Seahawks need that more than anything on not just defense. They need that. They need defensive line excellence. They have not gotten it. They have a good secondary. Like, and, and so I think the fact that they already have talent in the secondary and what you need to fix is the defensive line and you got someone who specializes there. I think that's a good match. I think that it's also a good match that from him being a defensive guy and you have offense, you have a pretty well-built offense already. You need offensive line help and you need a good OC. And I think he's demonstrated more than any of the other guys we're going to have talked about being able to hire a good coordinator. So he's had some, like, I think he's a good enough defensive coach that he knows what offenses screw him up. That's why he hired Kyle Shanahan. And that's why Kyle Shanahan's disciples continue to screw with him. So like he he's smart. He is a good tactician. He has made adjustments. I, I think we forget that it used to be a calling card of the Seahawks. They, they'd make adjustments at halftime. Guess when that stopped? Like it almost exactly aligns with when Dan Quinn left. I think he is a much better uh, tactician. So um, I think all of that's really good. I think he's a good leader. Um. I compare Dan Quinn. I put Dan Quinn and Mike Vrabel in the same bucket. Guys, guys, which I think John, as I said, likes really good leaders. I think people in the locker room will respect them, play for them, play hard for them. Something we're going to forget and realize really quickly is how inconsistent NFL teams tend to be week to week. Getting the max effort out of your team every week does not happen. It did not happen under Mike Holmgren. It did happen under Pete Carroll. It was very, very unique. I think Mike Rabel and Dan Quinn can be similar in that way. Mm -hmm. And Jeff and I have been arguing about this. I see them differently in that I think Dan Quinn's actually done something amazing. Like he's done some really good work on one side of the ball. I'm not sure I've seen that kind of excellence from Mike Rabel. And I also haven't seen Mike Rabel hire excellent assistants. So I have, for me, Dan Quinn's ahead of Mike Rabel. 
Um, but I put them in similar buckets. Neither one of them are the guys that get me most excited. So that's kind of where I am. I I'm not out on him, but I'm not like top of the heap. Right. And I think that's it. It's like a known entity, right? And so you don't get super excited because what if, what, maybe we know who kind of we're getting from there and it's not bad. I think that's, I'm with you. That's why I'm like, I'm cool. If that he's, if that's the guy that shows up day one, I'm in, you know what I mean? That's totally fine. Let's look at some of these other guys. So um, Raheem Morris, the current defensive coordinator for the Rams, 47 years old. I'm only putting that out there for Evan, just so you guys know. Um, worked from, for Tampa Bay from 2002 to 2011, except for 2006, where he went to K-State and was a defensive coordinator. Um, and he was the interim head coach there for, he was the head coach there. For, I'm sorry, head coach there from nine to 11. Then worked from 2009, 2011. Then worked for the Commanders um, from 12 to 14. Atlanta from 15 to 20. He was an interim head coach there in 2020. Um, and he, now he's the Rams DC for the last couple of years. Don't hate a defensive coach, as you guys know, but I'm sure you'll have something to say. So let's start with Jeff this time. Jeff, what are your thoughts on Raheem Morris? I think he's a very logical person to speak with. Um, he's got a really interesting background where when he was on Quinn's staff, he was actually a wide receivers coach. Mm -hmm. And so he was a head coach really early in his NFL career. He was not ready for it. And then he's really kind of built himself back up. Mm -hmm. And he, he's a lot like Pete in terms of like, he's got insane like energy. Like the one thing I hear about him is like 7 a.m. This guy's like bouncing around the room, like Bobby Wagner and Jalen Ramsey have tweeted about like how he just brings the energy. Like he kind of has some Pete vibes to him. Like we did see some really good adjustments out of the Rams. I think coming from McVay, coming from Shannon, he's a really logical guy for them to talk to. I put him in like the third, fourth tier of someone who I'd want to get. I think, again, it's very smart of them. And that's where John was talking about yesterday. Do your due diligence, learn about them, learn about how they've attacked. A lot of people think he's like a favorite in Atlanta if Belichick kind of flames out there. I can't see him getting the job, but I think he's the guy that they're going to like. They're going to really like talking to. He just kind of reminds me of Pete in terms of what he brings to the table. And I think they're going to want to go in a different direction. Yeah. Nathan, Brian, any differing thoughts on him? I did a vibes ranking of all the coaches, uh, coaching candidates. Uh, Raheem was third for me. Uh, palpable, palpable energy like that. That I, I didn't know that he was known for like being up at 5 a.m. and bouncing off the walls, but I definitely get that. Um, so I think he would be a very fun higher uh and i am uh i'm into it brian yeah i'll be quick i i what i don't like is that the rams are going to get a third round pick uh if you hire him so i'm hoping i hope that nobody hires him um no no offense raheem sorry uh i'd be totally supportive if he worked for another organization outside the nfc west this is not um, going to help your reputation with certain segments of seahawks twitter by the way well you know it's about the rams <laughs> not the rams um, but I just, um, I want somebody that's shown excellence on a side of the ball and had like demonstrated scheme advantage in some way. And he doesn't do that for me. Like, I think he seems like an okay coach. There's a lot of like buzz around him as being like, a, a I wouldn't hate it, but I would be pretty like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, uninspired. By yeah, that. I think he's on the list for every single team looking for a, a head yeah. coach right now. Everyone's yeah. talking to him. It'll be interesting. All right, let's move on to the next one. Um, is it Ejiro? 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 That's a, that's a good one. DC for the Panthers right now, 43. 
Getting younger, Evan. We're getting younger. Um, he's worked for the Niners, the Packers, the Rams, the Broncos. He was the Broncos defensive coordinator in 22. That was actually a pretty good team. Let's keep in mind how good that defense was. And now he's been the Panthers DC in 23. I know you guys aren't keen on defensive coaches, but does this guy spark your interest any more than any of the rest of them? Well, let me just jump in if I can. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Opposite of Raheem Morris, right? So like he has to me demonstrated impact on defense. Like the Broncos defense was excellent. Like one of the best in the NFL with no help at all. That offense last like two years ago, whatever we're calling it now was atrocious and that defense was top five most of the year like it was really really good this year the offense gets better and the defense falls off the map and i don't think the personnel changed that much um and then he goes into carolina and they had like what like the fourth like had a top five defense yep with that offense like so he's done it twice in a row um there was a lot of folks in that locker room that wanted him to take over for Nathaniel Hackett and he was like no I'm I'm out <laughs> so I like this guy I'm intrigued by this guy um I don't know that much more about him but all those mm -hmm. things are like okay he's demonstrated excellence in multiple places on one side of the ball that's cool Jeff what are your thoughts uh, again, I think he's a really logical guy to speak to. John has connections in Carolina. Dan Morgan, Scott Fitter were there with him last year. Um, Don Capers was there as another old Schneider guy. So they they definitely got a glowing report on him. And what Brian said is what his best like tactician skills are. He was on two. We all watched that Denver team in twenty two because of the the draft pick, and they ran a lot of games with horrible offense. Same with Carolina. My galaxy brain has another thought with him, and I'm not counting him out of the race, but some of the offensive coaches they're looking at are young guys who might not have the contacts. If you're looking for a DC on one of those staffs, Juro is probably not going to go back to Carolina. They're going to have a new head coach. If you can pair like a Ben Johnson or a Slowick with him, sort of, and you can gather information as him as a DC candidate as well. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. So not a double-edged sword. I think it's a potential added advantage later. So I do think he's a legitimate head coaching candidate. He's earned the right to talk. But I also think he would be a great DC to pair up with one of these younger offensive coaches who don't have the history. So if you can build up that information, kind of pair some things together. But he he's earned it. The last two years has been a really good job. Mm -hmm. Anything different, Nathan? Uh, so I listened to an interview with him as part of my Vibes Quest mid-tier vibes not a, not an exciting personality uh but um he talked about all of the different coaches that he has coached under and i don't know how this first one is true but he said monty kiffin um he seems too young and monty seems too old uh but monty kiffin dom capers vic fangio brandon staley that's a a lot of very good defensive minds and a variety of um schemes and thought uh and so i think that's really cool that you can get someone that you know potentially he's he's young and kind of exciting that way um and he's proven in a couple different spots of the dc dc um and he also has this like really deep wealth of like experience right or, or at least transitive experience so uh pretty interesting yeah next one's mike kafka <laughs> <laughs> sorry couldn't even get out that 11 36 <laughs> years old right up evans alley he's the offensive coordinator for the giants now i will say this he was a player from 2010 to 2015 he played for seven teams 
in five years. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I think the most interesting thing about him for me is that he was Kansas City's quarterback coach from 2018 to 2021. You're looking at an offensive-minded guy who had a little hand in molding the Patrick Mahomes. That has to make you guys excited. I, it has to. Brian, where are you at on that one? Well, we have to divulge why we're laughing. If people don't know, one of Evan's primary criteria, and Josh Cashman, you're out here too, is, is all about sex appeal. Like that is more important than whether they're good at their jobs. It's more important than like even age. It is like, is this a guy that can stand up to, to Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan on the NFC West calendar or of look coaches? Meter. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they, <laughs> Evan posted a picture of Mike Kafka and it was not flattering. Uh, <laughs> not a flattering pick. And so he's like, I'm out. I'm out on Mike Kafka. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I had not, I thought it was a surprising name. The Giants have not done well this year. But I think if you think, of, if you peel the layer back, it's an interesting name. It's an interesting name because I think Daniel Jones is absolute shit. Mm -hmm. I think that he got something of value out of absolute shit at quarterback last year. I'm going to say 2022. Uh, to be clear, and then it's not over. We haven't had this yeah. also last year. Yeah. Last year, okay, I'll stick with that. And and then I think the Giants' offensive line this year was worse than the Seahawks' offensive line, um, and they didn't do that great. But I just him being under the tutelage of Andy Reid, goodness. Um, him being a former quarterback that made it to the NFL, even if he's a journeyman, I think there's there's value there. So I just. I don't know what he's like as a leader. I don't know that he's demonstrated excellence anywhere. So he's not high on my list, but I'm intrigued by him. That's a nice, yeah, intriguing. Yeah, I don't know. Anyone else find him not intriguing? <laughs> it just seems too soon for him. Right. Like, uh, he's, he's very young. And like Brian's saying, you know, he hasn't really proven himself anywhere. The Andy Reid pedigree is cool. But you go from like, okay, well, how much credit can you really give him for Patrick Mahomes to how much blame can you really give him for whatever the hell happened in New York this year? And it's just kind of like, I don't know, like, if he was an offensive coordinator candidate, that'd be cool. But like, for your head coach, I don't know what you're chasing there. And Nathan touched on an important point earlier. It's really hard to evaluate. It's pretty clear to evaluate like who's a good play caller, who's a good coordinator. Mm -hmm. When you're trying to establish who's a good head coach, it's a totally different job. So if someone's a coordinator on a bad team, a lot of people like us or people, fans would be like, oh, this guy's the 31-ranked offense. When Matt LaFleur got hired and Sean McVay got hired, they coordinated two mid-to-bad offenses. LaFleur was in Tennessee with Marcus Mariota. It was not an inspiring offense. He's become one of the best coaches. Just because he's coaching a bad team doesn't mean he's a bad coach. It just means he's on a bad team. And there's guys like Nathaniel Hackett who coached Aaron Rodgers, and we've seen what he's been like without Aaron Rodgers. He's been a joke. And so it's such a hard process. I actually mentioned Kafka in our group the other day. Mm -hmm. I didn't think he would be a guy who would get the job ultimately, but I'm just I was trying to think of, like, who's the kind of guy Green Bay looked at over the years? And his profile is a lot like Kevin O'Connell, and it's a lot like Doug Peterson, a former quarterback, more of a backup level, kind of flamed out quickly, very similar to O'Connell. He was with Andy Reid. If their goal is like, hey, we need to draft and develop a quarterback, 
this is a guy I can see them liking. The thing that kind of took me out on this guy as a leader is I was reading, I posted this article in the group the other day about Brian Dable and how he's become like completely unhinged with his like blowups on the sideline. Like Wink Martindale quit the team essentially because of Dable. And one of the things that was happening during the game is Dable would freak out at Kafka every time he would tell him to run and he would run, he would yell at him for running the wrong play. And it kind of seemed like a guy who was getting a little pushed around. And so that didn't inspire me. Like, this is a leader of men. This is a guy who's going to take over your team. But again, if you're hiring a DC candidate, he's your OC. He might want to get out. I mentioned it with Ojiro. He's in a toxic situation right now. And if that's an OC candidate, that's a, a pretty good one. He's a former quarterback. You're going to develop a quarterback over time. But the concerning thing for our Seahawks fans is the senior bowl head coaches came out today. Jim Nagy appointed Mike Kafka as one of the senior bowl head coaches. So no. where there's smoke. Um, I thought he'd get an interview. I, I'd see him as like one of the longest shots in this whole thing. Yeah. It's interesting. All right. I'm going to throw Ben Johnson out there because everybody loves Ben Johnson. Everyone talks about Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson. Okay. As we know, he's the offensive coordinator for the Lions, 37 years old. Um, He's with the Dolphins from 12 to 18. And then he has since then worked his way up with the Lions, just two teams. And I think that's kind of impressive. You see a lot of these line coaches and these, you know, um, coordinators, they, they kind of run all over. He's only been with the two teams. Very young guy, hot, hot name. He's the name everybody wants. Everybody's focused on. Brian, is he worth the hype? I think Jeff's like Dying. getting aroused over there. I think, I think you might need to go to Jeff first. Uh, I, I'll be quick on Mr. <laughs> Mr. Ben Johnson. Uh, I love the offensive line in Detroit. I don't know that he gets any credit for it, but I love that you know, he's familiar with operating an offense that is uh, being driven by a fantastic offensive line. He does mix the run in the pass, I think, pretty well. And I think that's a good thing. And what I haven't seen yet from Ben Johnson is like, I'm not sure I see a guy who's got some transcendent scheme that is is like creating like tons of open throws. So like, McVeigh and Shanahan level, like they're in their own tier where they pl- they make the game easy. And I don't see that yet from Ben Johnson. We'll talk about another guy that I'm a little bit more interested as having that potential in a, in a bit. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued. He's 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 in the top five probably for me. All right, Jeff, go ahead. Um, I think of all the candidates, I'm just going from Pete and kind of there. And what they went through. I think he is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I think he would be from a lot of fan standpoint, the most exciting for a couple of reasons. One, you can't find a guy who will say a bad word about him. I've asked him around X's and O's leadership, smart when he talks, he comes off really intelligent. And one of the things I've liked a lot is they had Anthony Lynn there in the first year of Dan Quinn. And when they took out Anthony Lynn, it wasn't working there. This kind of old school running offense and they put Johnson in, it completely changed almost on a dime. And what I've seen really well is the player utilization is really good. And that's been an issue in Seattle for quite some time over multiple coaches. And I think the most intriguing just Seattle Ben Johnson fit is how seamless a lot of the players are. So Brian mentioned to us the other day watching Detroit. They, they're really working really well with Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Like stylistically, Charbonnet and Walker are so similar. Uh, he's really maximized Amon Ross St. Brown. Like almost – 
as soon as he took over from Anthony Lynn, St. Brown just shot up and is now one of the best. He's an all pro. Smith and Jigba in that role is like he's a little more, he's not as twitchy as St. Brown, but and even the way he acclimated Sam Laporta, like right away, he hits the ground running. So you give a guy like that, DK Metcalf. The concern is obviously what Brian said, they don't have that Detroit offensive line. Their tackles are very different in Seattle than what they have there. They're way more physical in Detroit. They're more finesse, especially left tackle in Seattle. What a lot of people expect, and I think this is where John kind of mentioned that competitive situation. Ben Johnson went to UNC. The job he's being linked to in the league right now is the Washington job. And there's a certain UNC quarterback expected to go number two overall. If he's very fond of that guy, that might be a tricky sell. So there's also comparisons between Geno and Goff stylistically. They, they do a lot of the same things really well. I think it's just a hand-in-glove fit. I don't know how he'll interview. I don't know what kind of staff he'll build. But in Detroit, they've really built good staffs. And I think he is just like a clear – you can see it just so naturally. Impeccable vibes. Number one on my vibes ranking and like far and away. Uh, started off a press conference shouting out all the significant others and mentioned that his wife had just had a kid and that, uh, you know, she was spending time uh, up all night with the kid and that, you know, uh, he was appreciative. Uh, when asked about the coaching hype for him, um, he said he, he responded, did you ask Aaron Glenn that question? Aaron Glenn is the defensive coordinator. Um, and he went on to say, hey, you know, Aaron's amazing. What he's doing on that side of the ball is incredible. And he, you know, if, if you think I deserve head coaching hype then you know you should be asking that to Aaron too so uh great like the press conferences were amazing to watch um so you know from that perspective as a fan it would be awesome to see him hired you know Jeff I think rattled off a bunch of his accomplishments um I I, I don't really agree like he I guess you don't really see him as like a shanty type X's and O's guys but you know he's got uh a Jared Goff offense ranked fifth in DVOA offensive DVOA um, so yeah, I definitely think he's got the chops there. Uh, I, I think again, I I'm mostly agnostic on this whole thing. Um, but he is my clear favorite of this bunch. Interesting. All right. Well, I mean, I would be okay with him too, but you know how I love the defense. So I'm just going to let that be. But, um, so let's do this. There's three candidates left that they have. Um, said that they are going to interview. We're still waiting for McDonald, for Ryan. We have not heard that yet. But so we still have Frank Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins, which was hilarious. I think, Nathan, it was you in chat that said, oh, do they have an offensive coordinator? You never hear about him, which is true. All you hear about is hipster homebrewer. We never hear about their coordinators. So Frank Smith, uh, OC for the Dolphins, 42 years old. Um, Patrick Graham, who is the Raiders defensive coordinator, 44 years old, who's worked for a number of teams, has been an assistant head coach in New York before for the Giants. So that was a little interesting. And then Bobby Slowick, 36. Um, I don't know about that guy. So worked for a number of teams. Now he's obviously with the Texans as their offensive coordinator. Any of those three names make you happy? Are they the ones that, you know, other than Ben Johnson, who you want to be high up on the list of the three? Brian, let's start with you. Well, <clears throat> Josh Cashman has been measuring uh, upper lip distance and and uh, has some questions. I, I want to represent Evan here as well. That this feels like Bobby Slowick's upper lip is too thin to be the head coach. Um, 
So these are the types of characteristics that are being evaluated in our group chat. Uh, it was it was a little unhinged unhinged yesterday. Loic's up there for me. Um, so unlike Ben Johnson, I like the things that I hear from people that I respect, and when I watch some of the the cut ups of of his work, is there are unique traits to the way he's running his offense. He does a lot of like like. I think they showed some stuff this week about really tight alignment that creates like a lot of space outside the hashes for routes to develop. That's not super common. Um, and I, I think that it shows some ingenuity, some innovation that is interesting to me. And like, I'm always look, like, if you're going to, you're going to go in on OC because you're saying this is going to be the, the guy who's going to be so popular. He's going to get hired somewhere else then he better be so good. He's super innovative and really going to transcend an offense. A lot of these other guys we've talked about, I don't think meet that bar. Slowick might. And so I'm really curious this weekend, we get a preview when he takes a clearly inferior Texas Texans team into play Baltimore against Mike McDonald, Mike mm -hmm. McDonald. He of all the, the coordinators clears the bar, the highest for me in terms of excellence on one side of the ball and innovation and doing something that nobody else is doing. And so he's still the top in my list that I'm most interested in because he's taken a defense that does not have a dude, like, like at least in the front, like in the front four and, and turned it into like one of the most difficult defenses to play against in the NFL that stopped some of the most difficult offenses to stop. And is embarrassed teams. So, like, I'm really curious how the two of those match up. I'm curious how it starts. I'm curious if there's adjustments. Um, but those are the two for me that still stick out. Um, McDonald's probably number one. Sloak might be number two. But I want to see a little bit more um, before I, I get all the way there. Interesting thing about Sloak, too, is he worked for the Niners from 2017 to 2022. Boo. Well, no, the thing of that is, is that he knows this division. And I think that that's probably a feather in his And I can forgive the lip. I'm okay. We'll take a look. I just want Evan and Josh to know I was not going to throw you under the bus for that. I was just talking about Oh, no. They're going to be exposed for that bullshit. Like, that's they don't. there's no safe haven for that kind of crap. I laugh so hard. Jeff, what about you? Any of those three or McDonald that intrigue you more than the others? Slow it far and away from the other two. Patrick Graham is, like, way down. When I saw the interview, I was like, eh. I don't really get that one, but maybe he's like a pair up kind of guy too. That I was talking about. If you remember the Seahawks had that game that led to Brian putting a bag on his head where Russell Wilson got beat. Patrick Graham's the one who designed that game plan for the giants, but he is a Belichick disciple Worked for Joe judge Worked for McDaniels. I don't want that guy as the head coach. Slowick to me is right there with Ben Johnson. I'm one, a one B and Brian touched on some of the things. A lot of people are like, well, they have CJ Stroud. Obviously he's good. But if you watch that game closely, and I put out clips of this on my Twitter, Josh Norris was doing this, the way they were designing plays and the details that they were using to manipulate the defense against what was the number one defense. I know they haven't been good on the road, but the way like their first touchdown in the game was a screen pass where he had the, the offense going one way, completely moved everyone over. And the way he like manipulated them just got a wide open touchdown. And we've seen some of that with Waldron, but honestly, this looked like Kyle Shanahan and this was a guy that there was an article about him from one of the Houston ESPN writers and Kyle talked about just 
how brilliant this guy is. And D'Amico got one guy he can pick from that staff when he went over to Houston. This was his pick. And there was multiple touchdowns in that game. Next Gen Stats did a thing of average separation on each catch, and they were far and away the best they had of any game that year. And it was one of the best of the season of just how open guys were. And when you watch Kyle Shanahan, how many times do we say, holy shit, how are these guys wide open? And like there was like a 70-yard screen pass that let turn into a touchdown to Brevin Jordan, where he used a fullback that went all the way across the field to completely manipulate that defender. And honestly looked like watching Kyle Shanahan. So if you want that kind of X's and O's guy, that's your guy. Again, the question with him, I think, is he's young. He's really green. He's only done this one year. Uh, what kind of staff can he build? Is he a leader? I know the ESPN article talked about how good he is with C.J. Stroud and how he, he holds him accountable. McDonald's right up there. I do expect he'll interview. It doesn't seem like Baltimore is interviewing right now. I'd say the questions of him in the league right now are he's only worked for the Harbaugh's, John and Jim. He doesn't have the depth of connections that other people have. And Jim, it looks like he's going to get one of the jobs. And if he has to build a staff, what's going to be left for McDonald, who's a little green? And if you look around the league, he's not getting a ton of interviews. I think he had one in Atlanta and one in Tennessee. I think my understanding is Seattle knows they can kind of wait on him. Mm-hmm. And there's no rush to talk to him. He doesn't have that kind of connection. So they wonder, and just looking at profiles, and I know teams do this, there hasn't been a lot of like X's and O's defensive head coaches that have hit really since Belichick. And I can't think of like too many off the top of my hand. This guy is super. D'Amico Ryan's. D'Amico Ryan's is more of I'd say to Dan Campbell, but he's still a brilliant defensive mind. I don't know if there's like a scheming mastermind. And McDonald has had one of the best years. And what Brian said, like he took Clowney, who's been like his career was kind of fading, and got a career year out of him. Kyle Van Noy off the street, like career year out of him. I'm sorry, Dana. Ah. Uh, so like I think they will interview him, but again, there are questions on him and on Slowick. But for me, Slowick fits that he's got some Kyle Shanahan to him. He worked under Shanahan. He was his quality control guy. He even worked for pro football focus. We were talking about earlier. So I don't know if that takes some from, from him, some away from him, but he was between jobs after Washington. And then he, he went to PFF and worked there under all those guys. So the other, who's the other guy on the list? I can't remember. Uh, Frank Smith. Frank Smith. Like I know nothing about this guy. The, right. He's got like, He's worked for Gruden. He's worked, He's not from the Shanahan tree. And McDaniel plucked him, which I found interesting. And he's worked for Gruden and Sean Payton as a tight ends coach. And he's kind of the McDaniel to Shanahan. He's that guy. But, again, smart guy to talk to. But, like, how do you pick him over all these other guys? I'm just not there. Nathan, any of those guys intrigue you? Frank Smith was far and away the worst vibes <clears throat> of any of these candidates. I love absolutely, the vibe meter. <laughs> absolutely atrocious, boring, mumbling. Uh, uh, he was asked about one of his offensive linemen. And he was like, uh, athletic, quick twitch, you know, can really move. In a, a, and it's just like, no, you, that's not, what he's you a have? bubble guy. Yeah. 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 So, you know, didn't love that. Uh, but, you know, I don't think anyone would have picked Hipster Homebrew to be a successful head coach and he's got a different style. And so you never know. Um, Slovak is really interesting to me. Uh, when I first started, you know, thinking about him and hearing about him as a head coach, it felt kind of like Kafka where it kind of felt a little early. Um, but listening to some of his press conferences, he, he has all the X's and O's as an offensive coordinator. He also seems to be thinking and he talks um like he's got a bigger picture view he's got an understanding of who he is as a leader um it it wasn't like frank smith who was like 
rattling off, you know, his left tackles, physical quality, like characteristics, he seemed to be thinking bigger. And that was really interesting to me. Um, so I like Slowick uh, quite a bit. I think that's a really interesting, uh, I think you hit on something that is not as well understood by a lot of folks is for you to be a great head coach, you have to really know who you are. Like you, like, you know, you can't be spending a lot of time trying to figure out yourself or how you feel about things. You've got to be really comfortable in your own skin. And you see guys that elevate into that position and they try to fake it. And everybody can tell that they're trying to be what they think a head coach is supposed to be, as opposed to being themselves as a head coach, making the decisions that they see fit. And so that's, a, I think that's a really encouraging comment uh, about Slowick. Uh, and, a, and an insightful one about Smith as well. Uh, maybe not ready for this type of thing. And, and that was something that really stuck out to me for McDonald is he did not look comfortable in front mm -hmm. of the media. Mm -hmm. And again, how much does that matter? Like, you don't have to win press conferences. You got to win games, right? Bill Belichick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I wouldn't say Bill Belichick looked uncomfortable in front of like Bill Belichick. He annoyed. Knew, <laughs> he knew who he was. He definitely he did about that relationship. McDonald, I didn't feel like like that felt like something that he was clearly trying to learn. Now I listened, somebody was arguing with me about this and he was like, Hey, go listen to McDonald's mic'd up stuff. And hit and when he's interacting with players in, in that environment, much more of a, like a dynamic personality. Um, but yeah, that was, I mean, obviously I'm going to be happy if the hire Mike McDonald, he's really interesting coach, but in terms of like how uh, the vibes, <laughs> okay, vibes, not, not great vibes. vibes. Also, the freakiest eyes. I don't know if I can spend like the next few <laughs> years looking that dude in the eyes. They're like pitch black, and he's got a little bit of the vampire teeth thing going. He's there's a there's a mm, I don't know, possibly undead vibe. <laughs> dead. Oh my god, cool. love it. You up. know, right up there with the upper lip and the shoulders. Yeah, I get sure. it. I totally understand. Um, so here's the thing. I'm seeing this a lot in chat. I'm seeing a lot on all over Twitter. It's like Harbaugh, Harbaugh. You guys, Jim Harbaugh is not coming to Seattle. I, I don't see that happening. I don't see John Snyder hiring him. What? I'm not wrong, right? Yeah, I mean, you got the he's just got dark eyes. People. What are you talking about? All right. Sorry. Oh my God. Anyway, the point is that. I don't, I don't see Harbaugh coming. Do we all kind of agree on that? There's, I just don't see John Snyder hiring Jim Harbaugh and I don't think he'd want to come to Seattle. I, I don't well, think on, that's it. On that him. note, Brian, could you maybe, you just screen shared the picture of McDonald. Could you maybe look in the group chat and, and share that picture? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Did you see it? Oh God, I did. I've seen plenty of these, these fake Jim Harbaugh and Seahawks gear yes. things. Yes, I'm weird. I basically become polemic as a result. I keep vomiting up my meals every time I see it. It's you know what the weirdest happen. thing about those pictures are, though? It doesn't look wrong. It oh. looks very wrong. It, it looks, looks weird. It makes I call him Evil Harbaugh for a reason. We can't have him anywhere near our teams. <laughs> I think the one person you haven't brought up, Dana, yeah. that is not going to get listed because they don't have to request is Vrabel. I agree. Well, so yeah, I, I can he talk was... about Vrabel for a second. I've I've shared my point of view. I like, well, I'll let Jeff go because Jeff Jeff's pretty high on Vrabel. I'd say Vrabel is like in the middle of my top five. I'd say right in the middle. Uh, I think Vrabel is a, a a legit candidate. I don't know if it's where there's smoke, there's fire, but Adam Schefter, Peter King, and Dan Graziano with ESPN, all three of them have talked about have tied Vrabel to the Seahawks. 
And Schefter talked about him and Schneider having a relationship. I wouldn't have put that together. And Graziano said there's a hunch on him. The thing I like about Vrabel is there is a consistent way of how this team plays, and it's a way I like, and it's a lot of way of what Jim Harbaugh does. It is a physical punch you in the mouth. The way they play football is tough. It's physical. They There was a game like the year the Rams won the Super Bowl where the Titans went in with like clearly an inferior team and just like beat the crap out of them. It was one of my favorite games of the year that year. They beat Lamar Jackson the MVP year in the playoffs. They play hard. They play tough. Even this year, Jacksonville needed to win to make the playoffs in the last week of the season. That crap Titans team went in there and just beat the shit out of them. And Vrabel gets a lot out of his team. He's, I'd say the profile-wise, he's more Dan Campbell. He's not the like X's and O's schematic man. He's only was a DC for one year and they promoted him. And that year JJ Watt got hurt and Deshaun Watson got hurt and they kind of fell apart as a team. And then they didn't thought so much of him. They hired him. I'd say I like him that he's physical. I, I like that. He knows what he's doing. A lot of what Brian said about Dan Quinn, I think applies to Vrabel. I think the question with Vrabel is, can he build a good enough offensive staff? And is he with the times on offense? I think that's the biggest question. Um, when they got there, they hired Lafleur. That was their first hiring as their OC. And Lafleur was with Mariota for two years and got hired after one of them. And then they brought, they promoted Arthur Smith, who's become a joke in Atlanta. But as an OC, they were like a top five offense. They were the number one seed. Uh, Tannehill was the guy they brought in as a flyer, and he resuscitated his career. Arthur Smith's an OC that's not going to get hired by another team. So if they can put that staff together, but after Arthur left, those OCs have been meh. And once their GM who got fired traded away AJ Brown and then made a bunch of other stupid moves, they drafted Will Levis. I don't know if he's on board with that. The whole thing kind of tanked. But if you hear like his ex players talk about him and Taylor Lewan does a podcast with Will Compton and they just like rave about him, I think he's a really just like he can do a lot of what Dan Campbell did hire good coordinators, put guys around, build a culture. I think Schneider and him are very similar personality wise, but I do think there are questions. I just love their brand of how they play year after year after year. We've never seen him like be a Super Bowl contender, but how much of that is Tannehill? How much of that is a coach? Um, again, I put him in the middle of my top five. I just have to offer a, a little bit of a retort because Jeff and I see Vrabel a little differently. I, I agree with a lot of what Jeff said, partially because a lot of it's just straight fact of, of what happened. But there's some other facts that I think are worth acknowledging. Vrabel inherited a, a team in Tennessee that had Derrick Henry, that already had Taylor Luan, had Jack Conklin, had Ben Jones on the offensive line, had Jarrell Casey, had Kevin Byard. Like there was a lot already there. And so I don't know that I've seen him elevate like the way I how can you say that though? But when Derrick Henry was there, he was a backup. And then the that was his, his rookie year. So no, like, two years. I think it was Marco I think it, Murray was there, and then I think it was his second year that yeah. yeah. So I think it was the second right, year that Vrabel took over, but you might be right. I just I I and I don't think what he did in, in Houston as a DC was super impressive. Like I have not yet seen like what his I think the Dan Campbell comparison is an interesting one. And I don't think he's I don't think he's bad. I agree a hundred percent that he's gonna get his players to play. I think he's a good leader. I think there is a very, very strong chance that John loves Mike Vrabel. Like he is exactly the kind of guy that I think John loves. So I do. I think there's absolutely reason to think that he's going to be a strong candidate. 
I'm just, uh, I'm not bowled over by like what, what part of the team is he going to really fix? I'm not sure. I really believe that we need just better leadership. Like we had pretty good leadership. I I want someone who's going to really raise a one part of the team at least. So that that's where I see it a little different than Jeff. That's the weird thing to me too. Like Pete was encouraged out the door a little bit and to, to do that, to then go get Vrabel doesn't, I, I don't know what you're, what did you really accomplish there? I agree. I, I feel, I mean, would I be mad if they hired him? No, there's only a handful of people I'd be pissed if they hired. But to be honest with you, it'd be like, so we're same old, same old. And that's not a knock against Vrabel. I just don't yeah. know. I, I, I don't, don't see, see the change. I, I don't. They're see- so different. They're so different. Oh no, I know. I'm not, I'm just saying it just doesn't excite me. I think you're underselling the job. Like I just looked at Henry's stats. He didn't take off till they really, they were the number one seed in the AFC. They beat Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson in the playoffs 2019. Like they, once their personnel went down the road and that wasn't him, the GM got fired and then he left because he didn't get along with the GM. So I see what you're saying. I don't think he brings like the innovative, but the yeah. guy was the coordinator of a four and twelve team and got hired the next year. Like there's a re- he brings a lot to the table. Jadavian Clowney career year under Vrabel. Well, you guys need to quit bringing him up. It just makes it worse. <laughs> well, that's what happened. JJ Watt got hurt. Clowney had the career year. I see a lot between him and Dan Campbell. I think they're very similar profiles. Coach, I think they both have limitations. I wouldn't hire Vrabel over the offensive guys over Mike McDonald, but. I think he's a better version of the Dan Quinn profile. That's what I see. That's fair. Yeah. Interesting. If we all agreed all the time, it'd be pretty boring. No, no. Then what would we fight about in chat? Okay. So do we are at, we're already at an hour eight. Brian, do you still want to do some Patreon questions? Yeah, let's do Patreon questions. If folks can stick around, if Mm -hmm. folks can't, I'll stick around. But um, let's do some Patreon questions. Before we get to those, uh, Abraham47 has been so generous tonight. He's been patient. He gave us a really nice super chat here. Thanks for your time and love to the fan base entertainment, of course, but also donating money to great causes every year. Thank you. Thank you for uh, the, the really great donation and a good reminder to give the show a like subscribe and go to patreon.com slash sign up, support the show and support the charities that we've supported over $260,000 to date. And with John Schneider staying as the GM, we will likely have uh, another big donation to Ben's fund coming up uh, when they do the auction later this year. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Let's get going. Now I said, I warned you guys. So I'm going to try and go through these and see if we, I did read them previously, Nathan, <laughs> just so you know, but there's been a few that we've kind of gone off. So um, there's a question on here for Evan and you know what? It's from Faz. And so I am going to Faz. I'm going to make sure that he sees that. And no, no, no. Ask the question. And it's then, not, it's just a night. It's actually a really good question. What's and the then, number one? And then have Nathan answer as if he's Evan. <laughs> Okay, Nathan, uh, what is the number one position of need for the upcoming draft, and why is it a new kicker? Best contract on the team. Uh, uh, I don't know. Some other crap that Evan would pull. Uh, never missed it. Didn't miss a field goal in the last uh, 10 games of the year. Don't, don't fact check that, but it's probably true. Um, oh, my God. Best kicker in the league. Sick. 
So good. All right. Um, we talked about Dan Quinn quite a bit in his performance last week. So cold ones, I hope that we explain that for you. There is Legion of Brazil. I swear to God, that one likes to drive me crazy with the pictures of Harbaugh and Seahawks gear. So we're going to skip that one too. All right. So this one is from Michael Mathis. Brian, I'm going to give this one to you. Is this John Snyder's last chance? Um, she had, they said, I never felt that he, this is from, yeah, Michael Mathis. Um, I never felt that he was in the hot seat, but that press conference gave me the impression that maybe his seat is a little warm. Oh, you don't, I mean, you don't get to be in the same bus as Pete Carroll for 14 years and have him get let go and not have your seat also be a little bit like the ejector button was pressed on one, but not necessarily on the other, but the fingers hovering. So yeah, I think John's going to get his fair shot here. Um, but yeah, they've got it. This is going to be a challenging one because you don't get to have a, Oh, let's start over for, you know, your first time coming in, you get three years to build the roster as you see fit. You heard him in the press conference. And I don't know if he really believes that, I think he maybe does, which is maybe concerning um, that that he thinks that, you know, the roster is close to contending um, or something along those lines. He's going to have to turn nine and eight into something a lot higher than that pretty quick. Um, and uh, good luck to him. Um, right now, they are trapped in the tractor beam of mediocrity in the NFL, the uh, the nasty middle. And so they got to break out. Not going to be easy. All right. Um, let's see. Nathan, what is more important, an X's and O's coach or a culture tone setter? I mean, it's not really either or, I don't think. Ultimately, I mean, if you're telling me I kind of have to pick one, I'm probably mm -hmm. going to pick the culture tone setter. Um, you don't get to be a head coach in the NFL without knowing some X's and O's. Uh, and, you know, if you can't build a program and you can't lead, you're not going to be a successful head coach. Uh, so, but I, I don't, I, it's a false dichotomy, right? You, you can mm -hmm. get both. All right, Jeff, who is the first person John Snyder? This is from Derek. I'm sorry. That last question. I forgot to say it was from Dave S. Thank you, Dave. Um, all right. This one is from Derek. Not our Derek, a different Derek. Um, who is the first person John Snyder says, see you later to, now that he's 100% in control of the roster? This is implying that there are some people on the roster who are Pete Carroll guys and not John Snyder guys. Um, I think Jamal Adams would be someone on the list for me. Um, I've always thought that trade was pretty clear where that was directed from. Uh, Pete's a DB guy, uh, they had screwed up. Um, Pete was so protective of him. I would say he's right up there, unless you're talking coaches or mm -hmm. if you're talking pure players. Uh, Brian's eyes perked up, so I'm curious who he's thinking. But My first thought is Geno Smith. Oh, if there's no. one thing where we have some clarity that there is a disparity yeah. between John and Pete is John was always a Drew Locke guy and Pete was always a Geno Smith guy. And that came, up a, that came up a couple of times. And that was one of the times last year. That was the closest they got to kind of a public um, conflict was when Pete named Geno Smith the starter before he got back to Seattle. And John was not happy about that. 
Um, I think that is not a good sign if that's what happens. <laughs> that's a very, very bad sign, but that's one to watch for sure. All right. Our very own Josh Cashman oh God. wants me to ask Brian if our glorious king, Sean McVay, sorry, was available for a trade. What are you willing to give up to get him to Seattle? Nothing. The, the guy's a coward. I mean, yeah. he punts on fourth and 14 in a game they clearly could have won. And he, that's not like the first time he's done that. He's done that over and over again. He's for a guy that is so good offensively. He has no confidence in his team to convert on fourth down. And look, I'll stand on this. The guy's a brilliant, brilliant dude has had a great record. He has had a major talent advantage for most of those years. The one year he won the Super Bowl, I think he was incredibly fortunate about who, which team they had to play in the Super Bowl. I think if they had played either Buffalo or Kansas City, I don't think they win that game. And I think he almost retired last year because he had one bad season. So, like, screw Sean McVay. Like, I'm, I want someone who's going to come in and kick Sean McVay's ass and tell Josh and and... Evan, that I want it to be an ugly guy now. I actively want it to be someone who's unattractive and that he just like browbeats Sean McVay and gets up there with like an overbite and just uh, just wins the division. That's what I want to see happen. How's that, Josh? Love it. I love it. There are a handful of draft questions um, that I don't know if you guys have looked far enough into the draft if you guys want to answer those, I, I think we're going to hold off on the draft questions just for a little bit because we are going to talk about the draft quite a bit. It's also so hard. We don't know the coaches. Like, right. Oh, that's like, a really good. You don't know who the coordinators are. You don't know what schemes they're running. Like, mm-hmm. It's impossible to answer right now. Um, all right. This one is from EM. Which coach is in most demand right now, and what are the chances that we get them? Nathan, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think – Ben Johnson is a name that's been out there for a while now. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess I guess he's the most in demand. I think. I mean, Quinn is talked about the most, uh, mm-hmm. but clearly there's a little. The shines come off that a tiny bit, at least for the moment. Um, I kind of see Seattle as being able to get whoever they want. I I, I don't know why Seattle wouldn't be first in line. Um, it's one of the better rosters, you know, uh, John talked a lot about uh, the stature in the league and the way that they do stuff and everything from good food to everything else. Um, so I would imagine that it's, it's a top choice. Um, I guess Harbaugh is maybe the most, most in demand. Um, but I think he's also a little polarizing. So I don't, I don't know if every team is actually going after him, but hard not to see him as the best option out there. Yeah. All right, Jeff, this one is for you um, from has no clue. Jeff, all the names for the new potential coach are current NFL guys. Is this just one of those years that there's no great options available at the college level besides hardball? It doesn't seem like it. Like really there isn't a big track record of college coaches hitting like Pete and Harbaugh. They started in the NFL before they became college coaches. I wouldn't call them college coaches. Who have we seen that's really come to the NFL? Chip Kelly didn't work. I don't think there's a – and one of the coaches we talked about, Lincoln Riley, his shine has really come off. And 
he looked like the next great coach and the, how bad their defense was. And he kind of like kicked reporters out of the building where kid like were, he had a rough year there and he kind of got to rebuild his image. So I think John was pretty clear. It doesn't seem like they're going to even interview college coaches. There's so much bouncing around that goes on right now. We, you guys all saw it very clearly. I don't think there's a coaching prospect that even fits. Um, there's a couple Pete questions I'm going to save. Um, all right. So let's go. We've talked about a bunch of these already, so that's good. Um, uh, Brian, Eric says, after stating the team underachieved this year, does that suggest that the expectation for next year is a better record? And if so, does that prevent a hard reset in terms of players and cap space? Can you say the first part of that question? Yeah, again? yeah, yeah. So after stating, after in his presser, um, after stating the team underachieved this year, that's yeah, what yeah, he, yeah. he said. Does that suggest that the expectation is for next year is just a better record? And if so, does that prevent a complete hard reset? Yeah, I love that. And that's a good that was another good little narrative that came out of that. So John said the complete statement was we overachieved last year and we underachieved this year. And the implication of that coming from the personnel person is I gave you the guys mm -hmm. like th there's more talent on this team than you were able to uh, elicit from those players. So in John's mind, I that means I think he's probably been telling Jody, oh, this is a 12 win team. Look at that team. Look at this team. Look at this team. We're better than those teams. We have more talent than those teams. We should be able to compete. And in a sense, He's absolutely right. Like, I don't see a huge difference between the Seahawks and a lot of the teams that are in the playoffs. The difference is, I think a lot of the teams in the playoffs are also shit. And so I don't think it says, like, the, the, the gap between being in the playoffs and actually contending for a championship is as wide as I have ever seen it in the NFL. There are some of these teams that look like CFL level teams compared to the 49ers, the Ravens, some of those class of teams. And I don't think it's been like that as much in the past. Like even when the, the Patriots were winning all the time, there was always the Colts. There was always like, there was always another powerhouse team or two that they had to go through. Um, Baltimore through Pittsburgh, like there was always some other teams and it's just not that way right now. So I don't think that there's any chance of a reset. I do think he said that he wants to draft a young quarterback. He, he didn't say it outright, but he implied that. My hope is that that's a good thing, that he is, if he wants to compete now and he wants to draft a young quarterback, that maybe that means he will keep Geno, which I think is the right move, and draft a young quarterback and let, let the best man win um, uh, approach. So that's kind of my, I don't know if I answered that, Mm -hmm. No, it's well good. Enough. Yeah, that's, I think so. Right. Um, there were a couple of different Pete questions about the things that Snyder said about Pete and the team being stagnant, stagnant and a few other things. But this was the one I liked the best. It's from Braxton. And we'll end our Patreon questions with this one. And I want an answer from each of you. What was your favorite Pete Carroll moment? Think about that for a minute. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's hard to pick one. Uh, right. I think the coolest one, I mean, obviously, you know, lifting the trophy. I, it's mm -hmm. <laughs> really hard to beat that. Uh, but I think of all the, like, you know, classically key moments, um, him celebrating the fail Mary touchdown and signaling it like 
half a second before the ref did. Uh, just like visually is one of the coolest moments. Uh, that was one of the, my favorite things that I would, when everyone was doing their Pete tributes on the day that, you know, he uh, did his presser and sharing their favorites. That was the one that I enjoyed the most to see again. Jeff? It's so hard to pick. Like, what's a Pete moment? What's a team moment from that era? I think the Beast Quake game for me was just so remarkable. It was so – like, I went to that game thing, like, oh, this team's terrible. They're 7-9. and nine. They're going to get killed. And that whole Marshawn run and just how fun it was to see, like, Hasselbeck kind of went off and Pete's, like, energy. And, like, you thought, okay, maybe we got something here. And mm-hmm. – like there was a game where they just whooped the Niners a couple years later on Sunday Night Football where you're like, oh, my God, this is an amazing team. But the Beast Quake game was probably just like the most joy I maybe got because there wasn't no, there wasn't a lot of stress. Like the NFC Championship, the Seahawks won against San Francisco. was probably the best game I've ever watched the Seahawks play. So it's, I'll go with the Beast Quake game. I'll leave Brian. Brian will have a creative answer. But I think that was just the most joy yeah. I got was watching that one game. I think that was so cool. Yeah, I, I'm going to answer a little bit off off book on this. So I think that my favorite moments of Pete's tenure are, one, I mean, we talked about the Beast Quake, so I won't say that, but like really the run from 2012 where they scored, like they first started by 58 nothing over the Cardinals and then they went to Toronto and beat uh the bills i think it was by like like 52 17 or whatever like some crazy score i was at that game i should have come visit jeff um, but i didn't um and then they come back and they beat san francisco 40 like that that was the coming out and san francisco like everyone thought they were just like the dominant team and seahawks just absolutely clowned them that that just whole culmination of like holy shit this isn't just a good team they're actually realizing their potential was such a magical little run. Um, I think that the NFC championship uh, against the Niners, it's the best moment in team history. It's better than the Super Bowl. Like it, it is, it was the, it was certainly the best game. Um, I need to go back and watch that game again. That's the first thing I wanted to watch once the Pete Press conference was over is just relive that again. Obviously the NFC championship against the the Packers. Um but yeah, my favorite Pete memory like of him is just standing there uh, in wonder as the the confetti fell um, in New York, uh, New Jersey, technically. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my that's my enduring memory of him. I have to say, for me, there there's a couple that stick out, and one of them it's it, one of them is a Super Bowl moment. But it's at the beginning of the second half when Percy Harvin runs back that touchdown. If you watch Pete's reaction to that. It was almost like I told you it was every little cocky Pete facial expression that he could muster. I freaking love that because it was just like, there it goes. I told you he'd be good sort of a moment. I loved that. It was because we've seen all the memes and we've seen all the funny things, but for that, it was really, it was really, really good. And, and then I, a lot of times it's just his different interactions with Marshawn Lynch I think that their personalities are so different, but when they interact with each other, it just seems so pure and genuine. So I I love that. So for me, it has a tendency to be player interactions. I think that that are my favorite Pete moments. Um, But another really good reaction is if you can get it, watch his reaction when John Ryan threw that touchdown in the FC championship. It's just like, he's just laughing like, how the hell did that happen? So I love that. I love that. The simple, pure joy moments that he has. Um, 
in him standing on the lockers. Like it's just that the, the, that is what Pete's about, right? That's what it's all about. So it's super fun. So, all right. I think we're good at the Patreon questions. Well, thank you for that. And thanks everyone who, who submitted them, uh, patreon.com slash Hawk blogger. You can sign up, get access and ask us questions every week. We are, we should be at a wrap for the show. Um, Danny, you've done an amazing job hosting and thank you for all your prep and, and all the, the guys, uh, info on coaches. Uh, I won't make everybody stay. I won't make any of you stay, but if anyone's interested, I really want to run our first mock draft of the off season. <laughs> I think I have to stay now. Okay. All right. It'll be, it'll literally take like five minutes. <gasps> oh but my God. This you don't have, is not even over. Oh. You don't have to stay. <laughs> it's okay. But I like, I saw a mock draft today that got me excited. And uh, so that means that I need to have us run one real quick. Okay. So. Everyone should know that most of us have not done scouting on any of these players. We don't know who's who. Like some of us know more than others, but let's just assume the best. So um, we're just going to run this really quick. And unlike last year, we're not going to pick the fifth pick. We don't have a five this year that we get to just see only a couple guys go. We're going to see a lot of names drop through. We are as middle mid as you can get middle of the round. Before I run this through, I do want to get from each of you, if you don't know a name, tell me your top position that you like you're hoping the Seahawks pick with their 16th pick. Don't say trade back, but just like position or player that you hope. Nathan, do you have a position or player that you hope realistically falls to the Seahawks at 16? Trade back. Don't you do that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> what, I, I want, I, I think... You know, interior defensive line, interior offensive line makes the most sense. Okay, Jeff. I want a quarterback. Quarterback? Yeah. Dana? I'm going to say interior defensive line. Okay. All right. So we're going to run this real fast. We're going to get all the way to 16. All right. And we're going to come back and look at some of the players that went. Okay. So this has Caleb Williams going number one to Chicago. Some interesting rumors already coming out about Chicago potentially making a trade with Atlanta that would have them have the one eight. Uh, sorry, the yeah, the one eight and nine pick that they'd trade uh, Justin Fields for the eighth overall pick to Atlanta and end up with one eight and nine, which would be a wild, wild outcome. Um, Caleb Williams, Drake May. So they go quarterback, quarterback. Interesting here. A lot of people are worried about Marvin Harrison going to the Cardinals. I've seen this come up a few times where Marvin Harrison goes to New England. That seems wild to me that that New England wouldn't go quarterback, but maybe they don't see somebody that's really worth that pick. Maybe they trade back. There's a lot of folks saying that, uh, oh, Mike Malik Neighbors. A lot of people are saying Malik Neighbors and Marvin Harrison are not that different as receivers. So like, it, it, you could see Neighbors. But in any event, I don't know. Like if if Cooper DeGene was the guy that goes to the Cardinals in that pick, eh, I'm okay with that. Um, we see the first tackle go off the board. Uh, Fashanu from Penn State. Another tackle here from Notre Dame. Another quarterback, Jaden Daniels, um, the Heisman Trophy winner. Our very own local uh, Roma Dunze goes top 10 here to Chicago. Another Pac-12, former Pac-12, Oregon State, uh, Talisi Fuaga tackle 
um, who's also plays guard a fair amount. Brock Bowers, I've seen Brock Bowers go as high as four in some mocks. I can't imagine a, a tight end going that high. Um, uh, Jazan Newton is the first interior defensive lineman that goes. That one Michael, hurt. That, the, the Newton one, I see him going anywhere from like five to 12. He is, uh, he is really fun. I don't know much about him. Say say something more. He, he's uh, really six two two ninety five. Yep, really strong, stout defensive tackle who can move, gets after it. Like he is both. Uh, I mean, he's two ninety five, so he's not big, but he plays big. And I don't know. He's just a, a really fun defensive tackle to watch, and he's probably going to go kind of like this, just a few p- picks ahead of them, and he might be. Oof. I feel we'll get to it, but I feel like Seattle is in a weird spot at 16. Yeah. So Michael Penix Jr. <laughs> and here he goes top 15. Oh. Dallas Turner, I've seen mocked to the Seahawks a couple places. Uh, very high-end uh, edge rusher, uh, or at least has high-end potential. And then you've got another tackle. Some people have him going higher, Latham going higher. And now you get to the Seahawks. So before I we go into the pick here, are there any of these names like that are close that you're like, ah, man, I wish those those guys had fallen to the Seahawks. Anyone jump out? In this scenario, if they did trade up to eight, I'd be losing my mind. If they did not trade up to yeah, eight? Yeah, if Jaden Daniels is sliding down. Really? Yeah. I just you're you're that high on Daniels. I just think the opportunity to get a quarterback, I just think there's so much value in that. Um, Newton is a guy that I haven't studied into, but people really like him. Mm-hmm. And Seattle's in this kind of weird spot now. Penix, I don't know. I still need to, uh, very his next three months are going to be real interesting. <laughs> yep, yep. You're not alone. Um, sorry, let me zoom. It's like way up on this for some reason. All right, that's better. Um, can you guys still see? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It feels like it's a little bit small now. Okay, I'm gonna make it a little bit bigger. Um, so. Now the Seahawks are on the clock, and one name that I am particularly excited that's available here is Jared Verse. I have been very clear that I want stop drafting edge, get interior defensive line or interior offensive line, just like you guys were saying. Jared Verse is a bit of an exception to that rule for me. I think Jared Verse is a dude. I think Jared Verse is like a physical, like he sets the tone so I wouldn't be sad to see Jared Verse. Another name that's another edge that's interesting is uh, Latu Latu, uh, former Husky, UCLA, one of the most prolific pass rushers over the last few years in college football. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some folks that have him going higher. Uh, I'm sorry, you cannot skip over a kid named Kool Aid. Come on. Like Kool-Aid. that for the name alone, <laughs> you need to bring him in. For God's no, sake. no more corners though. I'm just saying. Come there, on. There are a lot of folks that have Terion Arnold above Kool-Aid McKinstry. And this is the guy that's gotten most of the pub, by the way, Dana. Love it. Um, in Alabama and as their cornerback pair. But like a lot of folks think Terry and Arnold actually profiles better to the NFL, big, bigger. We physical. don't need a cornerback anyway. I'm just saying the name is fat. I gotcha. I gotcha. So if this is where like they have Braylon Trice for Huskies fans, you got Troy Franklin, you got Bo Nix. If you're a Ducks fan, um, uh, Fatano is an interesting interior defensive lineman, but this is pretty early potentially to take him. Uh, 
any of these guys jump off the board to you guys? There's a lot of really good names there. And I think if you go to like, if you go to the trade, uh, you know, one of the ones that's interesting is I think Washington has like a couple picks right at the top of the second round or something like that. Um, and so for me, like I agree versus a guy that doesn't really fit, but might just be so good. You take him anyways. And then all of these other guys are, I like them all. I don't know that I like any of them really at 16 all that much, but if you trade down and then you kind of see what's left and take a couple of those guys, if you can get, you know, a couple early second round picks or something like that, uh, you know, if you can get either of the UW guys, um, uh, if the tackles fall, uh, the Georgia tackles okay. Uh, there's a couple, like the Miami defensive tackle I like, Chop Robinson, another edge out of uh, Penn State. Like, do you want to take Verse at 16, or do you want to trade down and take Barton and Chop Robinson or something like that? Like, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's it, To me, trading down looks so appetizing. We'll see how where these guys kind of sort themselves as we get closer to the draft and the information gets a little better on them. But um, I have a hard time sitting at 16 if I'm Seattle. So here's my question for you guys. You look at the whole Pete John marriage thing. Trade back, trade back, trade back for God's sake, right? That's what they do. What do you think the chances are that Seattle trades up this year, not back? I think it's only for one spot. I think they're only going to do that for a quarterback. Okay. Which he seemed and a little focused on. on that. There's, yeah, you know, like Colin Coward sort of threw it out there. And then Peter King has mentioned it twice now in his article. He's very tight with John that this is the draft they might trade up for a quarterback. And then John comes out and kind of has a meh review of Geno. So I don't see them training up for like a tackle, but I think the Abe Lucas. Like his future, I think that's a huge part of like yeah. what they might be looking at. Was it put out today that he's having surgery? Did I see that somewhere? Am I yeah, that he had a picture head? of himself. Okay, that's weird spot. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. I was gonna say it's a weird spot for a quarterback though, because like Jaden Daniels would be super fun, but I don't. What are they gonna have to trade to go from sixteen to eight? At least a couple firsts, right? They already out a second with uh, the Leonard Williams trade. <laughs> like, this team has been trading picks for years and i don't know it's yeah. it's, it's a weird spot for Penix, and this in this one you don't even get him he's already gone but like i i don't think i'd love Penix Penix at 16 so it just if you were gonna do it they should have done it last year and yeah. you know I, I don't know it feels it feels kind of bad to try to make it happen this yeah. year interesting i i want to just offer a couple quick things one like we'll get into a lot more of this because Jeff and I especially get obsessed about this stuff. But um, we're we're basing it off the roster as it is now. I think we already are talking about some cuts that are going to come up. Um, and I think if, if if like Jamal Adams is cut, if they do end up cutting Quandre Diggs, which I don't expect them to do, but they might. Like all of a sudden, safety becomes a bigger priority um, on this list. Uh, we talk about edge like it's not a need. <laughs> uh it's a freaking need like Chen Nuosu was out and they basically had you know the the water boy rushing the passer opposite of Mafe who's not a dude Mafe's really good but he's not a dude yet um but I'll tell you one other thing there's a guy on here that I'm higher on than PFF uh and let me just get 
I really like Byron Murphy. So Dane Brugler gave him to Seattle at 16 in his mock draft. I'm not I, I I don't hate that. I like of all the defensive tackles I've seen, this guy, like he's three if he's 308, like he moves. He is athletic, he is disruptive, he is like he's got a motor, like this is the kind of guy I would be excited to add uh, for the Seahawks in the middle so, of that defense line. And one thing I realized the other day, uh, I think seven or eight of the top t- 12 defenses on DVOA are offensive head coaches. So there's a lot of offensive head coaches that come into new situations, and their job is we can do the offense. We want to build up the defense. Kyle Shanahan did that very clearly. They prioritized defensive line. So everyone's saying, okay, we need an offensive coach. A lot of these offensive coaches come in and they say, we'll spend the capital on defense. So someone like Verse, and they might look at Seattle and how much they got pushed around. Like, I don't know if you bring Daryl Taylor back after the year. Yeah, he was on that list of immature, soft. Yeah. So if you're hiring these offensive coaches, we've seen them have better defenses than a lot of these defensive head coaches. And a lot of them have just been because they prioritize that with first-round picks. All right, Dana, I'm giving you the first choice. Oh, and I, you it, know it, better than that. I know you don't know like the guys that well. I will give you if you do you want a badass edge rusher who's like super physical and and you know will push Trent Williams back. Uh or do you want I'm gonna be uh limiting here, or do you want uh a super disruptive interior guy? Um in the middle of the defensive line. Those are your two choices. I think you take the edge rusher first, right? Okay. Jared and I Ver- want to preface, I I have not gotten my Emory Hunt draft know, guide yet. I, know. I don't know. <laughs> You've just made the first pick of, oh, of awesome. the Real Hawk talk. I remember last year, I got so burned on Twitter for the picks Look at I made. Dana, you got an A. <laughs> All right. You got an A. So that's all. Like we will have much more. We'll have much more of that. But I've been itching to just do that. I appreciate you guys taking a few extra minutes on that. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening tonight. Please give the show a like, subscribe to the channel, go to uh, patreon.com slash hawkblogger, sign up. You can get access to the Slack channel right away. Keep the conversations going because we're getting into coach season, draft season, uh, senior bowl is going to be end of the month. Like all this stuff's going to go on. So lots to talk about. Stay close uh, and click the bell to get notified. You don't know when there's going to be something that causes a emergency pod. Until then, thank you to Dana or go. Let's try that again. Thank you to Dana O'Gorman, our wonderful host tonight at Dana OG on Twitter, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11, and Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. Learned a lot myself tonight. Appreciate it, and hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your night. Hey, folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then 
If you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Get you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the Tape Morning After articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.